Best Book Bits podcast brings you Rob Moore, a self-made property investor, businessman, entrepreneur, author of 18 best-selling books, double world record holder, speaker, pilot, and proud dad. Rob, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. No problem. Now, for my audience who don't know who the real Rob Moore is, rewind to the 18-year-old Rob Moore. Who is he? What is he doing? And what were your dreams were? And how did your story unfold from there on in? Okay, so when I was 18, I was at university getting drunk and not really remembering what I was doing and not going to college. I managed to scrape a degree in architecture, but I didn't enjoy it. And I was lost and didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. When I was six, I wanted to be an entrepreneur like my dad. Uh, he raised me in pubs and bars and clubs, and I just loved being around. You know, he'd let me and um, put stack the bottles up on the shelves and pay me a pound a week after busy nights in the pub. He'd let me empty the money in the pool tables and the slot machines. And from age six all the way up till my early teens, I just wanted to be my dad and be a hustler. And then school and university and just kind of, I guess, the, the normal path that you're supposed to go down kind of trapped me. Yep. And then I'm 25, nearly 26, 50,000 pounds, so a lot more in dollars in debt, um, working for my dad in his pub, but not as an entrepreneur, earning virtually no money living in his pub. I was quite cocky, complacent, defensive, lost, hurt, scared. And then on December the 15th, 2005, my dad had this huge nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers, had like a big sort of con convulsive, almost like, like an exorcism was happening in his body. Um, I managed to get him out of the pub to the front but all the customers were watching and my dad was sort of squealing and his eyes were rolling around the back of his head and none of us knew what was going on. My mum and my sister were out the front of the pub. It was freezing as well, watching this all go on. And this was in front of everybody and a police van turned up a few minutes in and two of them got out. One of them looked like he was no older than 19 years old and they both just beat my dad up, got batons and truncheons out and, smashed him to the floor and smashed him around the back and the legs and, the, you know, he was screaming. And they um, they tied him up with these cable tie things and chucked him in the back of the van, arrested him, sectioned him and diagnosed him with bipolar. And this was almost 16 years ago to the day, you know, give or take. Um, and I hated myself for days, weeks after that. I felt so responsible. My dad had put me through school and university. He paid for university, paid for school, paid for my first house. And I felt like I was supposed to be so much more and I was really letting it, letting my dad, dad down. And, you know, whilst my, you know, my therapist and all my people around me close to me said, look, Rob, it's not your fault. But I did feel partially to blame. And so since then, all I've ever really wanted to do is to prove my dad proud and to be become that entrepreneur that I always wanted to be. So I spent a couple of weeks beating myself up and hating myself and hiding away and um, painting some dark art evenings and weekends. And a gallery owner of mine had been telling me to get into property for like 
years. My dad had been telling to get me into property for like 20 years, but I thought it's just because he wanted me to move out. But, um, and I'd seen real estate prices go from 25,000 pounds, 30, 50, 100, 150 and done nothing. So I went to this networking event based on dad nagging me for years and this gallery owner saying you should be in the game. But I was so scared and I was, I'm an arty type, but I like a sort of spiky hair and wore cowboy boots and ripped jeans. I was out of place so bad. I hated all those yuppies. I was into rage against the machine. I was a fish out of water. But I was still in a lot of pain with what had happened with my dad and I was searching. I didn't know what for. But I just knew I had to change. I didn't know. Yeah. Anyway, I got to the bar at the end. I'd networked with everyone, given them my cheap business cards and didn't really enjoy it. And um, the last person I spoke to at the bar, it was a bit grumpy. His name is Mark Homer. And he was the, the last person I met at the networking event. And he's still my business partner today, 16 years on. It's our 15th anniversary of our company, Progressive Property, which has become the biggest property training company in the UK. We do tens of millions in revenue in our training businesses often. Um, we have 1,540 tenants now in our real estate portfolio. We've got hundreds of units. We're just finishing a 99 apartment, 159 tenant block. I guess in all the Aussie dollars, you're probably talking 40 million, something like that. I don't know. If it was in London, it'd be 400 um, Aussie million dollars, I would have yeah. thought. Um, I've written 18 books. I guess we're going to talk about a couple of those today. Um, I have a podcast, nearly a thousand episodes now, interviewed Floyd Mayweather twice and loads of billionaires. Um, I've probably got my biggest guest coming in a few days, but I can't say their name, but they're number two in the YouTube rich list. So there you go. Uh, broke the world record for the longest public speech, not once, but twice. Um, have a foundation called the Rob Moore Foundation to help young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world that I launched when I launched my UK best-selling book, Money, raised now seven figures for young and underprivileged people to start meaningful businesses. Um, yeah, I learned to fly the helicopter, like to collect cars and watches and um, generally not take life too seriously, take my work seriously, but not myself too seriously. Try and churn loads of content on social media. Um, and here we are. And this is obviously the apex of my career being right here, right now. Absolutely. <laughs> Rob, that was the... Um... I've nearly coming up to a thousand, a thousand uploads myself on YouTube. So I've done a bit too, but that was the best intro speech of I've ever heard someone give about themselves. And you've answered wow. 25 mm -hmm. questions of mine. So I'm not going to sit here and go back, but I do want to go back to day one uh, with you. And that's uh, born on a clean slate on new year's day. How good's that? Yeah, there you go. Is that right? <laughs> I, I was correct? born on January the 4th. Oh, your yeah. um, if you go to Google and Google your name, it says born the first of Jan nineteen seventy nine. So we'll we'll give Google a call and fix yeah. it up. But anyway, moving on. So seventy nine is correct. Yeah. Um. But, here's the thing: yeah. if you if you Google Rob Moore net worth, yeah, one site reckons I'm worth seventy thousand pounds. Awesome. One site reckons I'm worth a quarter of a billion pounds. Yeah. And both sites are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, somewhere in the middle will be fine. That that's cool. Yeah. Now, I, I I do want to talk about one thing, and and I guess you, you spoke about your dad a lot. Um, totally understand, but I want to go maybe before that in school really quickly, and I want you to talk about the relationship between pain and change. So pain and change. Tell us a little bit about how that started your drive. Um, well, I think that it is mostly pain that creates change. 
Uh, and so for me, my dad's nervous breakdown and being the fattest kid in school were the two great pain drivers in my life. And both of those lead to roads of deep shame for me. Um, and shame is one of the most painful emotions I think we can feel. And I'm able to talk about it now a bit abstracted from the emotion because I've learned to manage the emotion better than I used to and leverage it and turn it into something meaningful. And, you know, I've studied thousands of entrepreneurs and interviewed shed loads and many great entrepreneurs have their story of dyslexia or ridicule at school or loss or abuse or, you know, single parent upbringing or immigrant upbringing or whatever. So actually, if anyone has got any shame, pain or trauma, it's probably a good motivator because people who are comfortable, probably not as motivated. And, you know, they say that comfort is the enemy of greatness. So, um, Pain creates change. Therefore, you can either wait for external pain, which means it'll come, A, too late. B, it'll be out of your control. And C, it's going to hurt bad. Or you can create the pain yourself by um, motivating yourself to never go back to a certain place that you were or to be one step ahead of change and disruption. So for example, none of us could have predicted the, the lockdown and COVID, but you can be ready for an event like that in the future. You can be ready for blind being blindsided at any time. You can disrupt yourself before anyone else does. And you can be, you can prepare for what you can't prepare for. So without pain, there is no change. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that touched on me a little bit. And I did hear the story about you being the fat kid and that that sort of pushed you. And, you know, having those challenges early on in life gives you that, you know, those small wins to say, you know, fuck you. Um, you know, here I am and now look at me and you lost all that weight. Um, and then having the experience with your dad as well and your dad being an entrepreneur and teaching everything he knows. So, yeah, I think those hard years early in life is is one of the foundation keys to your success. But going forward and, and fast forwarding a couple of decades forward, right here, right now, what does money mean to you? I guess, you know, we live in an economic slavery system. Some people look at it that way or we look at, you know, we're the richest time ever in humanity because everything that we've got, look around the poorest person in the UK or Australia, and they've got more things than the wealthiest person did hundreds of years ago. So talk to me about what money means to you right now. Okay. So money is a universal exchange of value, a unit of account, a measure of worth, a store of value. It's an effective store of energy. It's a way to measure our productivity and usefulness and value in society. It's an agreed convenient tool in which we can exchange products and services with each other with low friction and high speed. So that's what money is. And obviously I wrote a whole book on that among other things called money. And I went deep into the definitions. So that's what money is, but what money means is different for everyone. Some people money means poverty because they were always around gambling. Some people money means greed and power because they were always, always around corruption. Some people money means hardship because they never were never around any money. So some people money means the root of all evil because that was what religion taught them. So money means different things to different people. So um, if you want to be wealthy, 
you need to have a good empowering definition and meaning for money. So if the stove was hot, you wouldn't touch it. And if you believe that money came with evil, nefarious or greedy or corrupt outcomes, you wouldn't touch it. So fundamentally, you have to believe that money is a useful tool because that's what it is. You don't look at a hammer and go, ah, that hammer smashed someone's skull in. We'll try that hammer for murder. A hammer can't smash someone's skull in, but an evil person with a hammer can. A hammer's pretty good at hammering in a nail, better than your hand. It's good at taking a nail out, better than your fingernail. It's also pretty good at smashing in a skull, better than a fist. So a hammer is a tool and we get the tool and we get that it's the, how the person uses the tool that's the outcome of the tool. So why do we not make the same connections with money? Because money's just a tool. But instead we go, oh, that person is greedy and evil and powerful or money is greedy and evil and powerful or money is the root of all evil or money changes you or money makes you a bad person or money corrupts or having too much money is wrong or you, no one needs a billion or you're robbing from the poor or you're screwing people over or salespeople are dirty. You know, yeah, this is, I could list a million of them. None of these are real. These are all projected um, assumptions of individuals. So if you actually learn about what money is, it's a tool. It's not emotional. It's not conscious. It's amoral, a-conscious, a-emotional, without morals or consciousness or emotions. It's just a tool like a hammer. It's effective for good and bad. So then if you understand that it's just a tool, then you project good values on it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, it's not really fair. All these billionaires not paying tax. So go and make a load of money and pay tax. Then, Oh, all these people in the third world who don't have any money. So build a foundation and go and support them. Stop bitching and moaning about what other people aren't doing and go and do it yourself. Um, now, look, we're governed by systems, capitalism, socialism, communism, our political systems. We're governed by that. New world order, great reset, own nothing and be happy, get rid of the middle class, get rid of the small business. You know, all of this stuff, a lot of people are talking about that shit and maybe, maybe not. But why I love, Michael, love being an entrepreneur is because we still do have freedom. There is still some free markets out there where you can start a meaningful product or service that makes people's lives faster, easier, and better, and you can get paid handsomely for it. And there are tax breaks and there are subsidies and there are benefits to you for doing that. Now, look, in some governments are making it harder, but it is still possible and you are in control. So um, you also mentioned this sort of, you know, or you, you didn't say it in those words, but the, the great divide between the rich and the poor. Well, mentally, Bill Gates. It's, it's more mentally than physically. So people, people don't understand that in reality, that's the difference. Yeah, exactly. Not, well, not, not, not that it's, it's. Yeah, that. you're right. Yeah. I agree with you. I think people quote all these arbitrary figures. Um, but Bill Gates said, if you're born poor, it's not your fault. But if you die poor, it is. And I would add, if you have access to books and a library and podcasts and audio books, yeah. exactly, the books behind you, the podcast we're talking to right now, if you have access to that, it is your fault if you die poor. It is. 
Um, well, now, second, by the way, I, so I'd interrupt you for a second because sure. I'm the epitome of that. So I've up, uh, uploaded nearly 1,000 free book summaries on my platform on the website going back wow. from, you know, starting 15 years ago and then decided to, you know, get the authors on the show, hence you're coming on now. You know, I've summarized your book, Money, which we'll get into too, but you just go online and go to Best Book Bits and you've got a 1,000 free book summaries in video, written, and audio format. If you can't get smarter, if you can't learn from that, then you've really got no hope. So I know it's all mental first before the actual physicality, but continue. I just wanted to segue into that education is free. You just, you know, yeah. when, the te- when, the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears and there's so many good teachers out there like yourself, Rob. So yeah, sorry to cut you off and, and continue with what you're saying. No, no, I, I agree with you and definitely shout out to the work you're doing and all that time and effort and energy that you put in for those resources. If people aren't using them, then you know, you can lead a person to water or a horse, but you can't make them drink. Um, so look, the rich will always get richer because they know how to get rich and you get more of what you know. You attract more of what you already attract. You get velocity and momentum and compounding. So I would just say to summarize this, that think about money as the reward and the outcome for creating a useful product and service for as many people as possible. Who, not the greatest communist socialist alive, could argue that it's a good thing for humanity for useful products and services to be offered to the masses at fair prices. So if you want to do good and make money, create a useful product and service. If you want to have a clean soul making money, then make a load of money and tithe and give some of it away. But, you know, poverty is very expensive and, you know, it needs to be subsidized by rich people and you know, Gandhi would travel the world in by train putting his message out to the masses which needs to be financed and subsidized and Mother Teresa would happily take donations from Robert Maxwell dirty money that she would see that she would cleanse for the goodness of the Lord um, so whatever story you need to tell yourself in, in your head just understand that money's just a tool yeah, well, the church needs a lot of money to build these uh, massive cathedrals. So, you know, at the end of the day, you can use any analogy with that. Um, good segue. You talk about disruptive entrepreneurship and your podcast, you specialize in disruptive uh, entrepreneurship. Tell me about like challenging the status quo. Why entrepreneurs need to um, challenge the status quo? Expand on that. Well, the status quo would be the ordinary, the comfortable, and the normal. And evolution wipes out the ordinary and the comfortable and the normal because something quicker, better, stronger, and fitter always replaces it. Um, Because the survival of the species requires us to adapt to our environment and our threats. So... Disruption isn't like, oh, I come in and create chaos and noise just for the sake of it. Disruption is improvements, change, evolution, revolution that you're either in control of because you're disrupting 
or you're not in control of and you're being disrupted. You are either Blockbuster or Netflix. Yeah. You know, you are either Kodak or you are digital photography. You're Apple or you're Nokia. Blackberry, now dead. Just, you know, not long ago, phone's dead. You're Apple or you're Blackberry. So disrupt yourself before someone else does, because that's what evolution is. It's the survival of the fittest and everyone else is wiped out. It's just the natural um, order. It's, it's so true. Um, just thinking about, you've interviewed billion, uh, sorry, dozens of, um, over a dozen billionaires and hundreds of millionaires and obviously having your network and going, going back to when you started, you know, going to networking, come, uh, going to networking events first. Tell me what's the common theme that you find from billionaires that they all sort of have in common, a couple of the top sort of common themes. Sure. Can you sort of expand on well, that? Yeah, I can. I mean, there's about 19 or more. Um, commonalities would be um, contrarian. Observe the masses, do the opposite. Be greedy when others are fearful, fearful when others are greedy. Uncommon sense. So this is a common one. Many of the biggest billionaires are kind of engineering or introverted types, which is quite a big misconception that you have to be Donald Trump or you have to be out there on social media to be rich. No, no, no. A lot of the, um, you know, a lot of engineers are people who've made the most amount of wealth because let's be honest, engineering helps us harness nature for evolution, a bridge, an airplane, telecommunications, information exchange. It's all engineering. Yep. Space travel. So um, introverts and engineers are often, this is why I always say, create a meaningful product and service. And, you know, sometimes you have to be a coder or a creator or a builder or an engineer, not just an entrepreneur, which is, oh, look at me. I'm Richard Branson with my wavy hair and my good PR. It's a lot more than that. You have to build useful shit. Your phone has to be better than your competitor, has to be more intuitive, quicker, more convenient. So um, there's a couple of commonalities. I'm serving vast numbers of people. You're never going to be a billionaire selling one widget. You're probably going to be a billionaire selling 100 million widgets, depending on the value of your widget. So serving vast numbers of people, a desire um, to face challenge and hardship is another one. So um, I saw a billionaire speak who said that he knew a load of Ivy League, Harvard, very well-educated people who did all right, but didn't really make much money. And then he knew billionaires. And he said the really main difference between the two is the levels of pressure and stress that they could handle. And the billionaire will handle um, what seems insanely high levels of pressure and stress. Like Elon Musk says he's getting lawsuits every day. And Donald Trump is getting trolled and hated on by hundreds of millions of people. And Bill Gates, look at all the shit Bill Gates gets you know, about being the antichrist of this, that, and the other. Look at um, how grey the, pre- the, pre- the presidents go um, after their one term. So your ability to handle high levels of pressure and stress, knowing that with every new level is a new devil and your reward for solving a problem is a bigger problem. They would be four common traits of billionaires. Yeah, and I want to dive into one of them, which is uh, why we need haters. And if we realize the importance of haters, we would actually want more and go out of our way to get more haters. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, the universe is far more wise than we'll ever be. And in its divine wisdom, 
it always gives us the people, events and situations that we need to force us to grow equally through support and challenge. So if we have too much support, um, your best book bits is just the best show ever. And you're a genius. And, you know, like, man, I love you. If you got enough of that, you'd get cocky, complacent and arrogant. It would be human nature. Yeah. So too much support makes you juvenile, dependent, cocky, complacent. Too much criticism, everyone hating on you, it'll break you in the end. So too much challenge will break you and too much support will, you know, make you, like I said, cocky and complacent. So the universe will give you support when you need it and challenge when you need it. But you always want support. Um, But it's only through challenge that you grow. So... Uh, for years, I've been trying to figure out what's the purpose of a hater because it's always seemed to me like a pretty low-level career, a bit base and pond life, and you know, not the nicest thing to to do to people. But people need opinions and critics and haters. They just don't need to be having them affect their emotions and opinions of themselves. So. The reason that we need haters is to force us to grow, to keep us humble, to keep us grounded, to keep us level, to keep us in neutral balance. Too high, we make mistakes. Too low, we make mistakes. You know, elated and depressed, we're out of balance. Maximum growth is on the border of support and challenge. Too elated, too depressed, we've got minimum growth. So that's why we need haters, to force us to grow and to keep us grounded and to keep us moving from one level to the next. Because look, a lot of people say, oh, well, Rob, I just want to be happy. I mean, that is the most deluded, naive fantasy. People just, I'm sorry if people think I'm being a bit skeptical here. I'm not, but the purpose of life is not happiness. Happiness is a reward for overcoming service. something. Service. Yeah, happy, it's an happy, outcome. Happiness, happiness in my experiencing life only comes through serving other people. And that's yeah. genuine happiness because only when you understand you're like myself, you put out massive amounts of content and and you've got a, a track record. So it's not what you say, it's what you can prove. You don't need to say anything because of what you've done in your your career. That's where your happiness comes from is the proof in the pudding. Um, now, I don't want to take up too much of your time because I know you've got a, a busy day today. I do want to touch on really quickly uh, about your books and people out there go out and, and just buy Rob's books, read them, apply the knowledge, listen to his podcast, do that. But what's the latest book you got out? Is it I'm Worth More? Um, is that the latest one from last year or is there another one out uh, before, after that, Rob? So um, Opportunity came out in definitely UK and US. Yeah, Not 100% sure if it's in Australia. Yeah, I think, it's, it's, audible. I think it's Audible only from, from where we okay, are. Okay, definitely on Audible, which is yep. my preferred anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I've written so many books. I'm worth more. Start now, get perfect later, money, opportunity, life, leverage, routine equals results. I kind of forget the order. <laughs> if I were to shout, if I were to shout out two of my books, yeah, please. It would be money because money was my deepest volume of work. Yep. And life leverage is probably was my first business entrepreneur book. So they're probably the two books that um I would ask, I would su- suggest people might start with. Yeah, cool. Uh, best place for people to follow you. Obviously, you're everywhere. But what's what's your main social handle where you spend most of your, your time on? So you find me on at Rob Moore or at Rob Moore Progressive on virtually every channel. Yep. Um, by all means, come follow me, DM me, message me. I'm always uh, checking my DMs and and open. 
Um, My podcast is called Disruptors and um, we interview disruptors and I talk about disruptive entrepreneurship. Awesome. One last question before we take off. If you were to have a dinner party, like come dine with me, I'm from the UK, by the way. So I know the TV show, three people from the past dead or alive, who would they be? Where would you take them? And uh, yeah, three people come dine with me. Rob Salmon Moe for dinner. Okay. Who are they? So I'll take them to Midsummer House in Cambridge because cool. it's probably the best restaurant I've ever been to. It's pr- I think it's two star, but it's not like the, you know, highbrow, no food two star. So I'll yeah. take them to Midsummer House on, in Cambridge and we go and have a walk down the river. And I would take Arnold Schwarzenegger. Awesome. Um, I would take Oprah Winfrey. Wow. And Arnold, Oprah, who else? Probably Elon Musk. Wow, that'd be a good conversation. So Arnold, Oprah, Elon. Awesome. That would have to uh, be a good interview. I'm not sure if Oprah would take it or <laughs> or, or yourself, Rob, as well. But um, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show. I know you're a busy man, got lots to do as well. But uh, last question before you go, what's one last message you want to leave my listeners uh, with just one takeaway, what would that be? If you don't risk anything, you risk everything. Awesome. Awesome. Rob, thanks for being on the best book bits podcast. Have a great day and, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Cheers. No Take care. Bye.